Welcome to Ancient Words, Modern Message. I'm your host, Roger Womble. The past is a mirror, and the more we examine what came before us, the more we can understand where we are heading. One of the more difficult passages of Old Testament prophetic scripture to understand, Zechariah uses an easily understood metaphor to describe Israel's past history and future destiny. Within the passage are several very specific prophecies, one of which was precisely and amazingly fulfilled in the betrayal of Jesus by Judas 500 years later, and others which remain to unfold. Join us as we carefully make sense of this challenging text in our study of The Tale of the Sheep and the Shepherds, sixth and last in this series entitled Promises Made, Promises Kept, Studies in Zechariah 7 through 11. In a previous series, of Schmooze News and Views a while back. We considered Zechariah uh, 12 through 14. So that means that we have, we've moved all the way from chapter seven through chapter 14, the end of the book. And we've not considered the first six chapters of Zechariah. We'll do that sometime in the future. Most likely not in the spring. We'll give you a break from Zechariah. Uh, but we come to this last part of Zechariah seven through 11, and that would be chapter 11. And would you follow along in your, on your page of text as I read, please? God, through Zechariah the prophet, around 520 B.C., uh, says this to Israel. Open your doors, O Lebanon, that the fire may devour your cedars. Wail, O Cyprus, for the cedar has fallen, for the glorious trees are ruined. Wail, oaks of Bashan, for the thick forest has been felled. The sound of the wail of the shepherds, for their glory is ruined. The sound of the roar of the lions, for the thicket of the Jordan is ruined. Thus said the Lord my God, Zechariah tells us, thus said the Lord my God, become shepherd of the flock doomed to slaughter. Those who buy them slaughter them and go unpunished. And those who sell them say, blessed be the Lord, I have become rich, and their own shepherds have no pity on them. For I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of this land, declares the Lord. Behold, I will cause each of them to fall into the hand of his neighbor, and each into the hand of his king. And they shall crush the land, and I will deliver none from their hand. So, Zechariah says, so I became the shepherd of the flock, doomed to be slaughtered by the sheep traders. And I took two staffs, one I named favor, the other I named union, and I tended the sheep. In one month, I destroyed the three shepherds, but I became impatient with them and they also detested me. So I said, I will not be your shepherd. What is to die, let it die. What is to be destroyed, let it be destroyed. And let those who are left devour the flesh of one another. And I took my staff favor, and I broke it, annulling the covenant that I had made with all the peoples. So it was annulled on that day, and the sheep traders who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. 
Then I said to them, if it seems good to you, give me my wages. But if not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Then I broke my second staff, union, annulling the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. Then the Lord said to me, take once more the equipment of a foolish shepherd. For behold, I am raising up in the land a shepherd who does not care for those being destroyed or seek the young or heal the maimed or nourish the healthy, but devours the flesh of the fat ones, tearing off even their hoofs. Woe to my worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. Let his arm be wholly withered, his right eye utterly blinded. If after reading that chapter to you, your response is, huh? Don't feel bad. You're in good company because actually I believe that this chapter, Zechariah chapter 11, is uh, one of the most difficult, if not the most difficult portions of Zechariah's prophecy to, to understand and to, to really work through. But I would suggest to you that uh, there are some key points which if we consider these key points, uh, we can come up with an understanding of what really is going on here in Zechariah chapter 11. I said earlier that Zechariah chapter 11 is really all about sheep and shepherds. Now that's not unusual because sheep herding or shepherding is, was certainly in Zechariah's day, before his day, and since that day, is a common activity, a common uh, occupation, a common part of the economy of Israel. To this very day, when you travel to Israel, when you travel around Israel, you will see shepherds shepherding their sheep. You'll see large flocks of sheep. And so it's not surprising that that image of the sheep and the shepherd should, should really dominate much of the Old Testament scriptures and the New Testament scriptures as well. And so it is here. But there are some questions that we need to ask about this passage and try to come up with an answer uh, to those questions. And by doing so, afterward, as you look at the passage again, things begin to fall into place. Here are the questions then. Consider them with me. First of all, pretty basic question, who are the sheep? Who are the sheep? And the sheep are known by uh, a number of uh, different uh, terms in this chapter. Uh, in verse 4, uh, they are known as the flock doomed to slaughter. Now, that's pretty heavy. Uh, the sheep are the flock doomed to slaughter. Uh, and when I think about that, the idea that, uh, that the sheep here are called sheep that are on their way to uh, the butcher, 
I can't help but think, with all apologies to Ken Clemens and the Clemens people, I can't help but think about uh, just driving past or on the northeast extension of the turnpike and getting off of the turnpike interchange there in Culpsville and getting behind a truck that is hauling a load of pigs. And we all know where they're going. And we all know what their destiny is going to be. They are pigs to the slaughter, pigs doomed to slaughter. Well, here the sheep are called the flock doomed to slaughter. And in verse 7, they are once again referred to as the flock doomed to slaughter. Uh, And also you have reference to them in verse 7 as being the sheep. Uh, And then in verse 17, uh, they are called simply the flock. And so really those terms are applied to the sheep. Question is, who are the sheep? And the answer very simply is they are Israel. They are the Jewish people. Now, the description of them being doomed to the slaughter uh, is really an indication of what Zechariah is saying would be the future of the Jewish people. And we know that from his day onward, really before that time as well, but from his day onward, uh, the, the troubles, trials, and tribulations of the Jewish people would be many, many, many. We can't help but think about the Holocaust, and we think about the Jews of Europe, and we think about the fact that they could have been appropriately described as the flock doomed to slaughter. And so it's it's understandable that they would have this terminology, but overall, the sheep here are the Jewish people as a whole, Israel. Next question, who are the shepherds? And I would point out to you that there are actually two sets of shepherds in the plural. That is more than one shepherd. First of all, there are those who are simply called the shepherds. And then, as we'll see in just a moment, there is another group of shepherds, but they are mentioned specifically as the three shepherds. So you have the shepherds and the three shepherds. First question, this general group of the shepherds, who are they? Well, verse 3 points out uh, that they are simply called the shepherds, the sound of the wail of the shepherds. And then verse 5, at the end of the verse, it says their own shepherds have no pity on them. Who are the shepherds? The answer, answer is they are the leaders of the Jewish people. Just as a shepherd is the leader of the flock and is responsible for the flock, so the shepherds here represent the leaders of the Jewish people throughout their history who are responsible for the Jewish people. And those leaders would be considered the ones who would either be the civil authorities. In the Old Testament period, that would have been the kings. Uh, they would also be the ones, the leaders of the people, who were responsible for uh, the, who are the religious authorities for the Jewish people. And so in the Old Testament period, that would have been uh, predominantly the priests and the Levites too, but the priests. And then there were those who were responsible to, to be representatives of God to the people, 
and to speak the message of God to the people. In the Old Testament period of time, they would have been the prophets. And so you have the kings and the priests and the prophets, and together as a group, they are referred to as the shepherds. Now, what we do know is that throughout the history of the Jewish people, you read about it throughout the Old Testament, throughout the history of the Jewish people, the majority of the shepherds, that is the kings and the priests and the prophets, were wicked, ungodly, unrighteous individuals. We know that the kings of the nation of Israel were for the most part wicked. We know that after the kingdom was divided, uh, after the death of Solomon, and there was the rebellion of Jeroboam against Solomon's son Rehoboam, and Israel divided into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, there was a king of the northern kingdom, a king of the southern kingdom, that there was not one righteous, godly king of the northern kingdom. Every single one of them was wicked. The only question was, were they more wicked than the person before them or less wicked? So it was just degrees of wickedness. Now, the southern kingdom had a few good, righteous kings, but by comparison, not many. We know that there were, uh, there were priests who were corrupt uh, and, and basically were not doing what they were supposed to be doing. And we also know that there were many false prophets. Now, there were true prophets like Zechariah. And there were godly priests. But for the most part, all of the shepherds of the Jewish people were wicked uh, and were ungodly. Now we come to the question, this other group of shepherds, and here they are specified in verse 8 as three shepherds. Notice verse 8, where God through Zechariah says, in one month I destroyed the three shepherds. Who are the three shepherds? Well, there's a lot of opinion about that. There's a lot of difference of opinion. Uh, many different Bible students, different commentators have different viewpoints. But I believe that, that the most sensible explanation of who these three shepherds are uh, is actually that it refers to the shepherds as a group, as we've just seen, the, the corporate leadership of the Jewish people but this breaks them down into the three categories. And through the, so the three shepherds are the civil authorities and then the religious authorities, and if you will, the ones who were supposed to be speaking God's word to the people. And each one of those is a shepherd, and together they are the three shepherds. Now in the Old Testament period of time, as I said, those three shepherds would have been Israel's kings, one shepherd, Israel's priests, another shepherd, Israel's prophets, the third shepherd. But actually, remember, Zechariah is not only addressing the people of his day as a fourth teller, but he is also speaking about the future as a foreteller. So he casts his vision down through time to a period 500 years later. Remember that Zechariah prophesied in around 520 BC. 500 years later, Jesus is born in Bethlehem, conducts a fantastic public ministry. All along the way, his enemies were the scribes and the Pharisees. 
And all of that culminated at a period of time when three groups of Israel's leaders conspired to put him to death. And allow me to just read from Matthew chapter 26. It's a familiar passage, I'm sure, for you. But Matthew chapter 26 and verses 1 through 5. Matthew 26, 1 through 5. Uh, it follows, of course, 24 and 25. That's the Olivet Discourse. And Matthew writes, Matthew 26, 1, it came to pass that when Jesus had finished all these sayings, that's Matthew 24 and 25, uh, he said unto his disciples, you know that after two days is the feast of the Passover. So this is very close to Passover. And then Jesus goes on to say, and the Son of Man, referring to himself, is betrayed to be crucified. So Jesus knew what was coming to pass. But then, verse 3, then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people unto the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas and consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill him. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. Those three categories, the scribes and the chief priests, the scribes and the elders of the people are those three categories of shepherds. You have, for example, you have the civil leaders who are referred to as the elders of the people. You have the religious leaders who are referred to as the chief priests. And you even have those who supposedly were declaring God's word to the people and they were the specialists in the Bible and they were the scribes and the Pharisees. So these are the three shepherds, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people. And now actually, they had a name, uh, the name for that group together. Some of you might be thinking of who that is. Can you think of the name of that body of leaders made up of the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people? It was called the, anyone? That's it. Very good. That's right. The Sanhedrin. And so really here in Zechariah, the reference to the three shepherds is really a reference to the Sanhedrin in Jesus' day. Is it any surprise, therefore, that we read in verse 8, in one month I destroyed the three shepherds, but I became impatient with them. Was there ever a question that Jesus was impatient with the scribes and Pharisees? I became impatient with them and they also detested me. They sure did. They were plotting to kill him. What about this statement, in one month I destroyed the three shepherds or the Sanhedrin? Periods of time in the scriptures are very significant. We know, for example, that seven days or uh, sevens, groups of sevens, has a real significance. But the reference to one month doesn't really have a whole lot of significance. It simply represents a short period of time. 30 days, one month, brief period of time. So we could really read this, that God through Zechariah is saying, now you'll notice he says, in one month I destroyed as if it was past tense. But we talked about this before, that when God gives a promise through his prophets, it is so guaranteed to come to pass, it is as if it already happened. And so here it is, in one month I destroyed, or will destroy, 
It's all the same thing in God's sight. I destroyed the three shepherds or the Sanhedrin. What we just read in Matthew's gospel took place around 30 AD. Within 40 years after that, there was no Sanhedrin. Because you see, Israel, that is to say the southern kingdom, specifically Jerusalem, was burned to the ground. The temple, Jerusalem the city, by the Romans, and the Sanhedrin was disbanded. And so in reality, this prophecy certainly came to pass. They are then the three shepherds. But now, here's the question. We've talked about the shepherds, plural, but also in this passage, there is mention of a single shepherd, two different ones, two different shepherds in the singular. The question is, who is the good shepherd? Who is the good shepherd? And actually, I should point out to you that uh, the good shepherd is represented by Zechariah here. Because notice verse 4. Thus said the Lord my God, become shepherd of the flock doomed to slaughter. Verse 7. So I became the shepherd of the flock doomed to be slaughtered. Who is the good shepherd represented by Zechariah? And as God's representative, Zechariah conducts some symbolic actions. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Some symbolic actions. Not unusual for the Old Testament prophet. A lot of the Old Testament prophets were told by God to do some really weird things. So much so that the prophets kind of had a reputation of being a pretty odd bunch. You know why? Because they did what God told them to do. And anytime you do what God tells you to do, there are going to be those people who say you are odd. Do you, do you agree with that? Yes. Oh, yeah. That's right. So certainly these symbolic actions are a little unusual. For Zechariah, what he was called upon to do as a symbolic action, not as strange as Ezekiel, for example, some of those symbolic actions, even Jeremiah. Uh, but who is the good shepherd represented by Zechariah? Well, you won't find that term, the good shepherd, here in this text. But when you read verses 4 through 14, you find that this shepherd is different from the shepherds of Israel and from the other shepherd we'll talk about in just a moment. This shepherd actually does what he's supposed to do. And so this shepherd is none other than God himself, but more specific than God, God's Messiah, the one he would send, who is none other than the Son of God, who is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's not surprising to us that we would say the good shepherd is God. Remember Psalm 23? What does it say as it begins? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And then the description. The Lord is my shepherd. But beyond that, in John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus himself says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And so the good shepherd here is none other than God himself. That brings us to the ominous question of, okay, then who is 
this other shepherd? Well, he is called by several names in the text here. Uh, He is called, first of all, the foolish shepherd, verse 15. uh, Zechariah says, then the Lord said to me, take once more the equipment of a foolish shepherd, shepherd. And then uh, in verse 16, he is described as the shepherd who does not care for the sheep. You can see the contrast with a good shepherd. Verse 16, behold, I'm raising up in the land a shepherd who does not care for those who are being destroyed. I mean, they're his sheep. He's the shepherd, but he doesn't care about them. He doesn't seek the young. He doesn't heal the maimed. He doesn't nourish the healthy. He only cares about the best of the flock so he can cook them and eat them. And actually, he eats them so completely that he grabs one of the legs and he kind of chews off the hoofs. That's all he's interested in. And then this same shepherd is also called the worthless shepherd in verse 17. Woe to my worthless shepherd. Who is the foolish shepherd? The shepherd who does not care, the worthless shepherd. Again, there's quite a difference of opinion on who this is. But I would submit to you again, as Zechariah looks down through the corridor of time, now he's not just looking 500 years into the future, Jesus. Now he's looking well beyond that, another 2,000 plus years in the future to where we are right now. And this foolish shepherd is known by some other names in the scriptures in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament in the book of Daniel. In one place, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, he is called the man of sin, the man of sin. Paul writes his letter to the Thessalonians, his second letter, uh, because they were concerned uh, that maybe they missed the, the coming of the Lord. And Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, that that day will not come until the man of sin is revealed first. So the glorious return of Jesus will not happen until this person, the man of sin, will be revealed first. Revelation chapter 13, the whole chapter really, uh, describes this shepherd, and there he is called the beast. And Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9, verses 26 and 7, refers to him as the prince that shall come. Those are all different names referring to the same shepherd. I would suggest to you that this is none other than the Antichrist. This is the one who is going to arise in the future to domination in the world and to become a world leader. And he doesn't care about the sheep, especially the sheep who are Israel. Now, he pretends to care about them because Daniel tells us in chapter 9, verses 26 and 27, that the Jewish people, at first, they're going to say, Oh, what a good shepherd he is. We want him to be our shepherd. So much so that they actually sign a treaty with him for seven years. But in the middle of that seven-year treaty, he says, I don't need the Jewish people anymore. I'm not interested in their welfare. And he breaks that treaty and pours out his wrath against the Jewish people. And the description of that, uh, that verse 16 This shepherd doesn't care for the sheep. Uh, He doesn't care for those who are destroyed. 
He doesn't try to heal those who are sick or heal the maimed, but he devours the flesh. That's a description of that one in particular, the Antichrist. Well, now you're saying, when are we going to get into the study, right? Well, look, having just considered those key points, you now can read through that and really understand it on your own. But before we close, I want to just point out to you uh, two very significant symbolic actions. We said that Zechariah is called to be the shepherd. That is to say, he's to be the good shepherd, the representative of the real good shepherd, God, Jesus, specifically the Messiah. Uh, and he's called upon to, to participate in some symbolic actions. And those are described in this chapter. First of all, there are the two staffs. Uh, verse seven, he says, now verse four, God, the Lord my God said, become a shepherd of the flock, doomed to slaughter. And so verse seven, Zechariah, being a good prophet, did what he was told. He says, I became the shepherd of the flock, doomed to be slaughtered by the sheep traders. And I took two staffs. That's not unusual because a shepherd always has a staff. In fact, it's not unusual for a shepherd to have two staffs. Uh, remember, one is called the rod and the other is called the staff. And what does Psalm 23 say? It refers to the rod and the staff. His rod and his staff comfort me. The good shepherd has a rod. He uses the rod to discipline the sheep when they need discipline. And the staff he uses to guide them and to rescue them when they are in trouble. Uh, and so these two staffs, it's not unusual to have two staffs, but we're told that he, he gives names to them. God tells him to. One is the Hebrew word that's translated favor, and the other is the Hebrew word that is translated union. And then uh, we read that um, th there is uh, a second staff, or I should just move on and say verse 10, first of all, he says, and I took my staff favor, and I broke it, annulling the covenant that I had made with all the peoples. And so that staff, favor, and it refers to God's favor toward Israel. That is, the Jewish people held a position of favor with God, but because they turned their back on God, because they went astray, as Isaiah 53 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Because they went astray, God basically said, okay, if that's what you want, go ahead, you do it. And the symbol of that is the breaking of that staff that is called favor. And what is the result of that? The result of that is suffering of the Jewish people that continues to this day. The first three verses describe the picture of military invasion. It talks about Lebanon. It talks about Bashan, which is on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And then it talks about the Jordan River. It covers that whole area that is going to be on fire because of military invasion, but many other examples of the suffering of the Jewish people. Uh, but then we have the other staff, and that's verse 14. Then I broke my second staff, which is union, and that annuls the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. The idea is that the Jewish people have been basically a cohesive unit in the past, but the time Zechariah says, is coming when they are going to be fighting among themselves. And believe me, 
That is going on today. Just recently, I got the latest issue of Moment magazine. This is the American Jewish magazine, Moment. And the editors had the courage to uh, give to this issue the theme, what uh, a moment big question. What should the role of American Jews be with respect to Israel today? And inside, there's about 10 pages representing all the different opinions of American Jews regarding Israel. You've heard the statement, have you not, that if you ask a rabbi, two rabbis a question, you'll get three opinions? Well, that's the idea that is, that is present here with the breaking of the Second Staff Union. It's basically talking about the division of the Jewish people among themselves. And interestingly, the prophet Ezekiel describes a time in the future when the houses of Israel, the northern house and the southern house, are going to be brought back together again. So there's that symbolism, but the most striking uh, symbolic action here is the 30 pieces of silver. And you have that in verses 12 and 13. The idea is that the sheep have said, we don't want you as our shepherd, good shepherd. We want to go our own way. You're fired. That's pretty much it. You're fired as our shepherd. And so... What happens here? Verse 12. Then I said to them, because now he's been fired, and as the representative of the good shepherd, he says, if it seems good to you, give me my wages. Okay, you're firing me. Can I get my pay? You know, give me my wages. But if not, keep them. Okay, it's not a big deal. Keep them. And they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. That's very significant. Because you see that in Exodus chapter 21, verse 32, Exodus 21, 32, God says through Moses to Israel, if there is a man who has an ox and that ox gets loose and gores the slave of another man and kills that slave, the owner of the ox is required to give compensation to the owner of the slave for the slave whom he has lost. And specifically in Exodus 21, 32, it says the amount of the compensation is to be 30 pieces of silver. Now you can be sure that the Jews of Zechariah's day understood the significance of 30 pieces of silver. It's the value of a slave. It's not a lot of money. It's the value of a slave. And so that is the significance, the 30 pieces of silver. And then you read on. I said to them, if it seems good to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. They weighed out as my wages, 30 pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter. Those 30 pieces of silver, throw it to the guy who makes the pots, the potter. And then there's a bit of sarcasm here. It says, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. It's not a lordly price. So I took, says Zechariah, the 30 pieces of silver, and I threw them into the house of the Lord to be given to the potter. If that sounds familiar to you, it should. Let me read again to you from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26. And we've already read of the plot of the Sanhedrin, the three shepherds, Matthew 26, verse 14. Then one of the 12 called Judas Iscariot went unto the chief priests, the Sanhedrin. 
and said unto them, What will you give me, and I will deliver him unto you? And they bargained with him for 30 pieces of silver. And from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. Don't you think the high priests knew the significance of 30 pieces of silver? You see, Jesus came as the good shepherd. He said, I am the good shepherd. And they rejected him, and they said, to us, you're worthless. You're like a slave. You're like someone who is owned by another. You're meaningless to us. And then, of course, we know how that all ended. Matthew chapter 27, verse 3. Then Judas, who had betrayed Jesus, and this is after the betrayal in Gethsemane, when he saw that he was condemned, repented and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I betrayed innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? That's what you would expect from those kinds of shepherds. What is that to us? See thou to that. And he, Judas, cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. And the chief priests took the silver pieces and said, it's not lawful to put them into the treasury. I'm a little surprised they didn't. It's not lawful to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field. The field that would belong to the potter, the potter's field to bury strangers in. Wherefore, that field was called the field of blood, a caldama, unto this day. And they took the 30 pieces of silver, the Sanhedrin did, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value, and gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord appointed. Zechariah is prophesying exactly what would happen to the good shepherd who was rejected by the sheep. Now, we've talked about the fact that for Israel throughout their history, they had these three uh, leaders, these three um, authorities over them. They had the prophet, they had the priest, and they had the king. In the Old Testament, the prophet, the priest, and the king. In the New Testament, the equivalent of that was the Sanhedrin. It was basically the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. But the amazing thing is that when Jesus came onto the scene, Jesus brings all three of those roles together into one person. Because you see, Jesus is all of those. He is the prophet, the greatest prophet of all. He is our high priest, and he is the king. He is the king now, and he will be the king throughout all of eternity as he rules and reigns. Prophet and priest and king. Deuteronomy chapter 18, the Jews were told that there would be a prophet like unto Moses who would be raised up. That is none other than Jesus. Prophet, priest, and king. Thanks for listening to Ancient Words, Modern Message. You can expect a new episode every other Monday, so please join us again. Ancient Words, Modern Message is supported by Hebrew Christian Fellowship.
To learn more about our ministry or to ask a question, contact us at hcfellowship4819 at gmail.com. If you know someone who might be interested in this teaching, please share it with them. And please consider leaving a review of what you've heard on Apple Podcasts. Your input helps us make our program even better and reach new listeners. All you have to do is open up the podcast app on your phone, look for Ancient Words, Modern Message, scroll down until you see Write a Review, and tell us what you think. Ancient Words, Modern Message is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. And I'm your host, Roger Womble, reminding you that the Word of God is living and active. Until next time, showers of blessings on you and those you love.